And we're back. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to talk with you, Johnny. We are uh, meeting officially for the first time face-to-face, but we followed each other on Twitter for probably a, a good while. I think we just kind of found each other through the Twitter sphere. Um, talk to me about the audacity to podcast. That's something that you started up. Um, how is it helpful for hosts and people in podcasting in general? Yeah, it's a podcast about podcasting, and I frequently go in-depth into concepts and some of the technology It's not really one of these podcasts where I compare microphones to each other because I don't really want to focus on the tech itself, but I do want to focus on what you can do with the tech. So the podcast is about giving, teaching you the tools and giving you the guts to start and grow your own podcast, whether that's for just passion or profit of some sort. And I get in depth on certain things. I I review certain things, teach a lot of principles that really help all points of the podcast, production, technology, preparation, communication, and much more. Has that ever led to listeners reaching out to you directly to get more one-on-one help, or is it more of just a general community of people learning from you? It has launched my business of helping podcasters. So when I first started the podcast, I was employed full-time at a job that at one time was my dream job, but I'd accomplished every goal I had at that job and was looking for I want to move somewhere else. I'm a Christian, and I believe that God was showing me that it was time to move on to somewhere else. And I saw some blessings in this podcasting space because I'd started this podcast about podcasting simply because I had stuff I wanted to say. I had no ambitions to start a business. I just wanted to add my voice. I had the audacity to think that I had something else to say in the space of podcasting. So I'd started that, and then people did start contacting me, asking me, hey, can I hire you to help me with this problem, or can you fix this thing for me or build this thing for me? And that's when I started to see this could be that thing. God is blessing in this direction, and this could be my next business to pursue, is to step out and do this full-time. So the podcast launched the business, and the podcast supports the business as well. I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I'm, you know, kudos to you. I, I was in a similar position, but I kind of cut myself short. So I started a podcast, but it was a sports podcast just because I was so interested in the space. And then I realized, all right, I'm not going to make a full time living doing this show. But it transitioned into something very similar to your story, where I was able to all of the skills that I learned doing that, I was able to help other people create their podcasts, and that's sort of how you get into the space. So. I, I think it's a great story that a lot of people can learn from. Um, but you do write a lot of uh, articles, or at least you turn the podcast into blog posts. And there is one episode or article that I did want to break down, and it was the five things that will enhance your podcast. So I'm just going to go through the article and pepper you with a couple of questions if you could just expand on a few of those things. So we know now that 40% of podcasts, at least as as at the time that I looked up that statistic are being consumed on YouTube. And the number one thing in your article is to add video or audio with big if. So if you're hosting an audio podcast that has to explain a lot of things, consider releasing video. Has that mindset changed at all to where you're now saying like you need to be on YouTube, you need to have video when you're working with people? No. And even that survey that they say 40% of podcasts, well, Many of them aren't technically podcasts. It's just the idea of what is a podcast has been changing. And I kind of fight against this a little bit because I'm an original podcaster. Um, But I know that language changes depending on how people use it. 
And so I, I have to kind of accept that too. So when people say, I watch a podcast on YouTube, they're calling something they watch on YouTube. They're calling it a podcast, but it's probably not actually a podcast. A podcast technically is something that is syndicated and downloadable through an RSS feed. So put it simply, if you can get it in a podcast app, any podcast app of your choice, then it's probably a podcast. So if you want to get it in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or uh, Overcast or Stitcher or those kinds of podcast apps, then it's probably an actual podcast. But if it's only in one place, it's probably technically not a podcast. So all that said, I, I think that that data of 40%, that it's, it's skewed and it's, it's informational, but I don't think it should drive decisions because Rhett and Link, for example, do their show, Good Mythical Morning, only on YouTube. So when people watch it, they may say, oh, I watched the Good Mythical Morning podcast. It's not a podcast. So people responded to the survey with that kind of stuff in mind. Now, there are people who put their podcasts on YouTube. I know that you are taking this podcast that we're recording, and you're going to also publish it on YouTube. And that kind of thing is good. Now, it is good to be everywhere you can be well. And the key word there is not everywhere. It's well. Well, yeah. So I see a lot of podcasters hear this thing of, oh, you need to be on YouTube. YouTube is the number two search engine. And there are some misconceptions around this. So they, I've already covered some of those. A way that many podcasters will try to do this is by making what I call fake video. And it's where it's just a static image, maybe an occasional image rotation or waveform or something like that. But it's basically the same thing. And it's an audio only quote video, unquote. That's fake video. It's not where people are seeing you talk. They're just seeing an image and hearing audio. Fake video does not perform well on YouTube. It doesn't perform well in search. So there goes that whole search um, argument that, oh, you need to be on there for search. It, it takes a lot of momentum behind fake video for it to get any attention. And the drop-off rate for fake video is huge. I've looked at the stats and I see that 95% of the audience or more is gone in the first 30 seconds once they realize, oh, this is a fake video. And YouTube's algorithm sees that kind of thing and they start to make other decisions based on that. So they won't promote fake video very much because they see this video is getting abandoned a lot. So we probably shouldn't promote it in front of a bigger audience. So all that said, don't do fake video. If you, if you are going to do fake video, make a separate YouTube channel channel where that is all that you do and never expect anything better from it and do it automatically. Don't worry about trying to manually publish your stuff. Use an automatic tool like repurpose or something else like that that does it automatically for you in a channel where you will never publish real video and don't expect much success from it. But if you are able to make real video, even if it's simply this, where it's talking heads, we're recording our voice and our video, this is so much better than fake video. People can see all of my hand gestures moving <laughs> around and everything. And many people will much more enjoy watching someone talk than simply listening in the context of a video platform that is so if you can do real video yes definitely be on youtube and it doesn't even have to be your regular podcast content it could be supplemental podcast content like maybe in your episode you talk for an hour in your audio episode about a certain principle and you mention a particular tool 
then you make a five to 10 minute video about that tool that you publish on YouTube. With so goal, that's a way where- With the goal being to drive people to the audio podcast. Exactly. And the audio podcast can also drive people to the YouTube. So when we're making content and you're comfortable making multimedia content, you can publish it in the optimal ways in different places so that you're not necessarily seeking to build one particular channel of yours, like your podcast or your YouTube or Twitter or anything like that. You're not trying to build one. You're building all of them to build your platform and your reputation, authority, and influence. That's, I mean, I love that insight because I, what you just said is just so the opposite of what I've been talking about and what my personal beliefs are, which I think is fantastic. I, I love hearing an opposing viewpoint and I haven't heard a great argument for why you shouldn't be on or like why it's not considered a podcast when it's on YouTube or why the fake video, which I think is a great term, shouldn't be on YouTube. Um, if I were to push back just on one second and then we'll jump to the next thing in the article, don't you think it was so you did make the point that the automatic publishing to YouTube is a great tool if you're doing fake video, but you shouldn't put a ton of effort into it. Um, wouldn't it, though, be beneficial, though, because the way people are consuming podcasts, regardless of whether it's a video on YouTube or a fake video, the way that people are still consuming it is still while they're driving, while they're doing chores, like where they're not actually holding up the phone or the tablet and watching it. Wouldn't it still be beneficial to be on YouTube just because the consumption is there? If people are still driving, then the fake video doesn't necessarily matter then because if it's going to be in my cup holder while I'm driving, I could care less if it's a video or not. I still like that content. I just prefer to consume it on YouTube. Yeah. A couple thoughts on that is um, one, YouTube is trying to get into podcasts, but they're not being very clear about what they're doing and they're not really doing all that much. So they released this long document, a presentation telling people how to get their podcasts on YouTube. And they mentioned the fake video approach, but they really push for real video even then. But they do say, they do mention the fake video. And there's this whole thing about how you might want to make a playlist for your podcast, even if it's on YouTube. And then that might show up on YouTube podcast, but we're not even really sure what they're going to do. And I really hope that YouTube, if they make podcasting official on YouTube, that they do something that is intentionally designed for an audio only experience. So you don't even have to make fake video, but that aside, so the future, some of the stuff about fake video on YouTube may change in the future. But right now, if someone wants to listen, like in the car, and that's a great example, they, the only way that they can do that if they're consuming video from YouTube is to leave their phone screen unlocked and leave the YouTube app open. They can't play the audio in the background unless they have the YouTube premium subscription. That's the way it is which now. I which I have. And so that that's like, that's go. where I, yeah. that's where my argument came from is I have the ability to do that. I can have the GPS up and have it playing in the background. So yes, continue. Yeah. So you're paying extra for that. And other people who are paying extra might appreciate that benefit, or they might just appreciate using an audio podcast. But the other thing is it's a lot of wasted space and bandwidth for them to stream that much data when they're only getting the audio. So it, it can be done and sure you're enabling a little bit more of your audience to consume or slightly growing your audience. But the big question is, is it worth it to you? And that's something that really only you can decide if you're seeing really good results and good engagement, go ahead with it. And if it's not costing you much, or if you justify the amount of engagement you're getting, 
with the cost that's costing you, go ahead. I feel like I could, I feel like I should set up a debate between you and someone who's like super pro YouTube <laughs> for podcasting and just, ha and just like moderate and let you guys go at it. But, um, oh, that could we'll, be fun. We'll continue on to the article. So your number two is upgrading your equipment essentially. So a lot of people start out with their podcast and they will go with, and I'd be curious to hear how many times you've heard, oh, I actually have a microphone. It's the, it's the blue Yeti. <laughs> And yeah. um, at what point do you recommend people in their podcasting journey upgrade their equipment? It's when the equipment is holding you back in some way, holding back your quality or holding back your features. So let's take the Blue Yeti for an example. It's the most oversized, overpriced, overhyped, misused and abused microphone in podcasting. But it can still produce good results if you use it correctly. There are better values, sure, but let's say, okay, you started with a Blue Yeti. You don't have to replace it right away. If you use it properly, you can get some pretty good audio, like making sure that you're talking into the right side of the microphone, not the top of the microphone, but the right side, and you uh, have the settings on the microphone the correct, you've got it close enough to you, you've got a good environment for recording, you can get some really good audio from it. It's just you have to be very particular with it. So a good reason to maybe replace that microphone is if you're in a situation where you suddenly have an on-site co-host and now you need to record with two microphones. Well, the Yeti, not the Yeti Pro, but the Yeti itself is USB only. There is some software you can use on Windows and Mac and Linux to combine USB microphones, but that it starts is such to get difficult. That's such a headache though. Like exactly. even, we're pros at this and even we're saying like that is the hardest thing to do. And it's actually even harder with the Yeti because apparently, and I'm not sure if they've changed this yet, but the Yeti, when you connect it to your computer, has the same serial number as every other Yeti out there. So if you buy two Yetis and you try and connect them, or maybe it was the Snowball, it, it was one of Blue's USB-only microphones. When you tried to connect two of them, your computer would see only one of them. So then you'd have to get one of them exchanged with Blue in order to get one that is hard-coded with a different serial number. So it would show up as two microphones. That's a pain when you could just buy a different setup, upgrade something, maybe some XLR microphones with a tiny device like a Zoom P4. That's now giving you new abilities that you didn't have before. Or like you've got the blue microphone and you it's a huge microphone and you want to record somewhere else. You want to go record man on the street kind of interviews or you want to go to a conference or you just want a smaller package instead of having to lug around the big microphone and your computer and all of that. So you might switch to a portable recorder or some kind of portable system that's giving you different features and benefits. Or maybe you're at that point where you're realizing that you can't invest too much in your environment to improve your the sound quality, like adding acoustic panels like I have behind me or adding acoustic foam or furniture. You're in an environment you just can't change and the microphone isn't working so well for you, that's when you might want to consider switching because you might get better quality with a microphone that's more, more forgiving for different environments like that. So upgrade when there's an, a clear benefit to it. But if you're on something like a great microphone, you're getting good audio quality, and you hear people talking into $300 microphones, like I have an ElectroVoice RE320, and you hear people raving about it, and you've spent $50 or $100, and you're getting really good audio quality, I would say that $200 difference, well, $300 if you're not reselling your original microphone, that $300 could probably be invested better 
somewhere else unless you're having trouble with your current setup. And when you say investing somewhere else, that could be investing in maybe hiring someone to edit your podcast, to actually handle the production side, which gives you what's on the next on your list is more time. And one of your recommendations is to invest more time into your podcast if you don't have the means to invest more money into your podcast. Can you expand a little bit what you meant by that? Yeah, everything costs. It costs time or knowledge or money. So if you use a tool like, let's take Audacity, for example. The Audacity software is free, works really well for podcasting, and it's getting so much better in these latest few versions since it was acquired by the Muse Group. So Audacity is still free software, though. So to use it effectively for podcasting and do certain things that can improve the quality of your podcast takes more time and knowledge on your part. You could instead invest in better software that has the ability to do those things you want to do more easily, thus giving you more time back. Or you can invest in having other people do stuff for you, hiring a producer to edit your audio for you, or, or hiring someone to help you filter some of the feedback that you get, manage some of your social media or your promotion, your web design, your visual design for your podcast. Some of these different things can save you time so that you can focus more on the podcast content, which is the most important part of your podcast. Or maybe it's just giving you more time so that you can spend that time on the rest of your life, on what might be more important to you. No, so podcasts investing... are the most important thing in our lives, Daniel. <laughs> Let's not oh. get it twisted. Podcasts are number one. <laughs> I know the feeling. I know the feeling. It's so fun to podcast, yeah. But uh, we, we need to invest in order to get a result. We don't just spend money to lose money. We want to get something back. Now, that doesn't mean looking for money back but it might mean a better experience or simplifying the process, relieving some of the stress for you. And that's why for me, I was on Audacity for a long time using that software and I already had Adobe Audition. And at one point I decided I'm going to force myself to upgrade and switch to Adobe Audition. And when I did that, because I was already paying for Adobe Audition with the whole Adobe suite. So it didn't cost me anything extra. But when I switched over, that's when I started to find that, oh, this is easier to do. Now, this thing I know how to do, I can do it faster in this other software. It's not the software itself is making the audio better for me. It's the tools are easier and quicker for me to use so I can get the same result or a little bit better result with less time and with less fewer brain cells involved. And it's making it then better and improving my podcast in that way. Also on your list is you talk about investing in new knowledge. And when people hear that, just if in its own box, they hear new knowledge, they might go, well, I started a podcast because I'm an expert in topic X, or I'm really, I'm already investing the time to learn more about topic X. So that can't mean what that is. So what does that actually mean? You actually list out learning the specifics of becoming better at podcasting, not necessarily the topic of your show. So speaking in presentation skills, productivity tools, better microphone technique, which we all know people have terrible microphone technique unless they call us and we have to actually show them what good microphone technique is. Um, I really want to hit on the speaking and presentation skills. Uh, expand a little bit more on that. Would you uh, recommend that people start going to Toastmasters group? How would you recommend someone becomes a better speaker other than just doing more and more episodes. Cause that's sort of what I recommend. As I say, no one's born 
except for a select few people, are born great broadcasters. It's a skill that you're going to have to learn. And the best way to do it is to just do episodes over and over and over again, because you will naturally learn what your kind of cadence is and you will become a better speaker and orator as time goes on. But would you recommend something like Toastmasters or are there any other tools that people can do to become more confident, better speakers? Yes, absolutely. Because podcasting is communicating. You are using your voice. Even if you're on video, you're still using your voice to communicate information. So the better you can get at communicating, the better you can get at podcasting and engaging your audience. So whatever those things are that are available to you, resources, books, training, materials, practice, to become a better communicator will make your podcast so much better. Helping you to learn how to transition from one topic to another or helping you learn how to ask better questions in an interview or how to avoid coming back with the same response every time of awesome and then moving on to the next thing or anything like that can help you communicate better in the podcast and communicate better in life as well. I hear some of these podcasters that start out and I've improved my communication in the process as well. We often start out just talking and not really approaching it as a presentation to an audience. Even if it's two people talking, you have to remember that you have an audience communicate so they will understand. And these are things you can practice, you can work on. I often say that the best place to improve your podcast is before it even hits the microphone. So if you're saying, um, and, uh, and stuff like that a whole lot, instead of trying to learn how to edit it out or trying to look for artificial intelligence tools that will find it and edit it out for you, you learn to edit it out before you even say it, <laughs> because then that makes your editing so much better. And if you can get used to not saying, uh, so much. That makes the rest of your communication all that much better. And I'm not saying you have to learn how to be a professional speaker, although those skills do really well translate into podcasting, into the rest of communication as well. It's so much more of looking at your podcast, listening to your episodes, maybe a few weeks later after you've published them and just really listening. Does this communicate well? Do I have certain filler words or phrases that I could maybe reduce or completely remove? Is there another way I could make this point or communicate these certain things? And am I wasting time? Am I uncertain? Do I sound unprepared? Do I sound like I'm dead? Am I communicating with any passion or actual humanity behind the voice? These are things that, again, help you throughout your life and help you be a better presenter inside of your podcast. That might've been the best day. You, you knocked that out of the park. That was, was better than anything I could have hoped for. Thank you so much for that. Uh, to round out the article, the last thing is an improved website. I don't think a lot of people consider having a website when they start a podcast. They put, they get on their hosting platform and they go, oh, well, I'm, I'm on Anchor or Libsyn. So that, that's my website, right? You can just find me there. Talk about the importance of having a website in general and if there are any tools out there that you would recommend or hosts, hosting website hosts that you would recommend people check out. Well, the first thing to think about is that when you want to tell someone to get to your podcast, the best place to send them is to your website. So instead of saying, find my podcast in your favorite podcast app, which there you're relying on the ability for them to properly type the name of your podcast. And some people try to get really clever with the names of their podcasts or have weird spellings, things like that. 
You're also relying on your search ranking inside of that podcast app and that they'll find your podcast instead of someone else's. And you're also trusting that you are in the podcast app that they're even using. Maybe their favorite podcast app is Amazon Music and you've never submitted your podcast to Amazon Music. So you can't really say, find me in your favorite podcast because you're not there. So first of all, do make sure that you're in all the podcast apps that you can be. But the nice thing with the website is that you can say, visit, like for my example, I can say, visit the audacity to podcast.com that works on every device. And on that site, I can then link to Spotify, Amazon music, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, any of those things. If someone wants that, but I'm sending them to my site, it's my brand. Now, even if, so that's a domain, that's a very important part of this is having your own domain. It doesn't have to be a .com, but if you can get the .com, I think that's generally better because still a lot of people just assume .com, but you could also look at .co, .us, .info. There are all of these things coming and going, but get what makes sense for you and that you can use and speak and that is easy to understand if it's being spoken. So having that domain, you can then with some of these podcast hosting providers like Libsyn, they give you a very basic website and you can map that domain. They have instructions on this. You can map that domain to the site. So when you say visit myawesomepodcast.com, it goes to your Libsyn page and people will still see in their browser myawesomepodcast.com. So even though you're using your podcast hosting provider's website, you're using it with your domain. Now, some places like Anchor, Spreaker, and a couple other of those don't let you do that. But you can do that with a good podcast hosting provider like like uh, Libsyn or Captivate and a few others. So having that domain where you can send people is great. Now, you might find that the podcast hosting provider website that you have is a bit too limited on what you can do. So then there are two other options I recommend above that. The high end is starting your own WordPress website because you can do almost anything with WordPress. The audacity to podcast.com is run on WordPress and I do all kinds of things on there. I have my own online store. I can take donations through the website. I can get feedback. I write articles and post videos. I can do anything I want to through that site because there are all of these tools. I can design it however I want. So it has all of this power and all of that power comes with a price of knowledge and time. And that might be more complicated than some people want. Many people just want a basic website that looks great, functions great, and gives them a little bit more than their lips inside or captivate site and such. And that's where I recommend the in-between option of WordPress with all of its power and the podcast hosting provide with all of its simplicity in between there is another service that I recommend called PodPage. And with PodPage, you give it your RSS feed from your podcast hosting provider, and your RSS feed is what powers your podcast. So you give it your feed, and they, then it automatically checks for your new episodes. It publishes a new page with your new episode, but it doesn't do only that. It also lets you add your own pages or edit some of the stuff that's already pulled in. You can pull in all kinds of other features there and services like PodPage are designed to be easy to use so that you get some of the power that you would get by running your own website, 
but without all of the complexity of WordPress and managed hosting or self-hosting and all of that stuff and worrying about PHP versions, they take care of that for you so that you get something that's very flexible, not ultimately flexible, but it's that nice in-between that I think for most podcasters, that could be a better option than going the full WordPress route. Thank you so much for breaking all that down and the entire article in general. And for listeners, if you want to read that article, it'll be linked in the show notes as well. I want to wrap up with just two kind of fun questions that I had for you. So on your Twitter profile, I don't know if you took it off or not, but how did you get to become the co-founder of International Podcast Day? What was that all about? Well, I've had this podcast about podcasting since 2010. And so I built up some authority and influence in the podcasting space and relationships and friendships that come along with that. And so there was a day, it was actually the day that my podcast won the podcast award in 2013. I was in Las Vegas at New Media Expo, and it was at the podcast award ceremony that uh, another gentleman came up to me and he had this idea of, you know, there are days for all of these other holidays. You know, there's International Donut Day and there's, there's uh, you know, International Grandparents Day and all of this stuff. But we don't have a day for podcasting. So he came to me with this idea of, hey, how about we just try and start a day for podcasting and, and see what kind of traction we can get for it and make it the day for podcasting. And we originally started by calling it National Podcast Day because the kind of limited thinking was, well, every nation is an, has a national or is national. It, it just didn't quite work out, but we later rebranded to International Podcast Day. But it, it, how did I get involved with that was all about the relationships from building the authority and influence that the podcast gave me, being consistent with that. And there have been other opportunities too that have come and gone. And it's all been because of relationships that came from the authority and influence in podcasting. And just like you said, uh, Johnny, about uh, sports podcasting might not give you opportunities to be a major podcasting consultant. Now it can open up some opportunities, but it might open up other opportunities in the sports world because of the inf authority and influence you have there. Same thing with like, we used to have a TV show uh, podcast where we podcast about the TV show and we got to interview some of the cast. We got free uh, Blu-rays from uh, Disney to review ahead of time. We got to see a lot of cool stuff ahead of time, had some other opportunities. And that was all because of the authority and influence that we built through the podcast and the relationships that came as a result of that. That's so great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, my last question for you is that uh, you incorporate your faith into podcasting and your approach to entrepreneurship and you have Christian in your bio. Um, I think that's really fascinating. Can you just talk about what kind of role faith plays for you? You already mentioned that it was the sort of leading factor that said, I need to leave my job. God's calling me to jump into podcasting and do something else, do something greater. Can you just expand a little bit more about what your faith means to you when it comes to either podcasting or entrepreneurship? The thing I like to say often is we all leak our worldviews, whatever your worldview is. And a worldview is how you view the world. And for me, I view the world through like biblical glasses of looking at the Bible and believing the Bible and what it says 
And that's how I then look at the world and interpret the world through that lens of using scripture. And we all leak that worldview that we have, whatever that is, whatever it is that you believe, it comes out here and there. And so for me as a podcaster, I recognize that there are times it's just going to come out. It's going to leak out in my illustrations, in my perspective on things. I sometimes quote scripture in certain podcast episodes because I realize, oh, this thing I'm teaching, there's a proverb about that, or Jesus said something that kind of connects to this. So I'm quoting that. Now, I'm not I'm not preaching in my podcast, and I wouldn't consider the Audacity to Podcast a Christian podcast because it's not about Christian principles. It's hosted by me, a Christian. But I leak that stuff, and it comes out here and there, just like everyone else leaks their own worldviews and their political opinions and such. That all comes out. So for me, it because Christianity and, and the teachings of Jesus have a lot to say about how to teach and reach other people and how to treat them. I try very hard and work on this constantly, and I fail many times as well, but I try to communicate in a way that honors God, and I try to run my business in ways that honor God in ethical practices and such. I, I never seek to cheat people out of money or to try and trick them into spending money with me or anything like that. And admitting when I'm wrong on things, but at the same time, also standing for what I believe in, standing for where I believe things are moral and good and beautiful and standing for those things. And sometimes that costs opportunities and relationships, and it can be painful. I've had something recently where I took a stand on a moral issue, and some people really pushed back on that, and it started a big fight, and I lost some some good relationships and opportunities from that. But for me, and I don't see myself as a martyr, like, oh, look at me. I'm so good <laughs> in my Christian faith. I stood for this and everybody's criticizing me. No, that's not the way I look at it. Uh, now, I do see that the Bible says I will be, quote, persecuted, unquote, for my belief. So I know to expect some of this stuff. And I know that the Bible says there are heavenly treasure uh, when I suffer for Christ, not for myself, but when I suffer for Christ. So I have to constantly ask myself, am I standing up for myself or am I standing up for what's right? And am I treating these other people the way Jesus would or the way he would want me to? And am I following the biblical principles in my own life and being a good example? And like I said, I, I am not perfect. And this whole idea of Christians and hypocrites, it can the idea of hypocrisy can often be a misunderstood, but I, I acknowledge that I am not perfect. I mess up a lot and I hope, and my faith drives me to this. I hope that I'll recognize or I'll be humble enough to listen to other people when they point out where I have sinned, as we say in Christianity, and I can repent of those things, apologize for them, own up to them, take responsibility and change where I need to. Now, some people though will say, oh, you need to change this belief. And I recognize, well, changing this belief is core to Christianity. So if I change, then that's compromising my faith. I will not compromise my faith in Christ. So as much as other people might want me to change certain beliefs, no, I'm not going to, because then that wouldn't be actually exercising my Christian faith. So I'm, I'm open about my Christian faith through my podcast, through social media and such. And at the same time, I also recognize 
that the context of these places is not always where I need to push faith. Like, look at this episode that you and I are doing. I mentioned, you know, I leaked my worldview a couple times when I said that God was blessing in certain directions and I'm a Christian. I mentioned that. No, I didn't give you the whole salvation story. And it's not until this question that I start digging into much more things because you gave me the context to actually open up and talk about my faith. Same thing with my podcast is I leak the worldview, but I don't see my podcast as a ministry or as evangelism because they're not the context for that kind of thing. I've done other podcasts that have been overtly Christian with the context of teaching Christian principles, but my business, I seek to run to provide for my family and to glorify God. And when opportunities come up to talk about the gospel, I welcome those opportunities, but I'm not using the business to try and jam the gospel down other people's throats. That Thank you for sharing that. And the reason I wanted to kind of give you that sort of segment to talk about it is because in my personal worldview, I feel like, because I, I come from a Catholic background and I strive my best to be as good of a Catholic as I can be, I feel like that, especially for people that work in the business world and are on social media, especially those that are Christians, the vibe that I get is that they feel like they kind of have to hide their Christianity a little bit just because it's so the way the world is politically is just very anti-Christian right now. And people feel like they need to hide that because, oh, well, maybe I won't get hired for this job or maybe I won't get this client or something like that. And, and because of sort of the caricature that people have about Christians of one of them being they thump you with the Bible and try and get you to convert the second you start talking to them, people try to hide that. So I did want to give you that platform to, to do that. And I think it's amazing that you run your business so openly through your faith. And I appreciate you doing that. And moreover, thank you for sharing all of the knowledge on the podcasting side of things. I think that this is going to be super, super beneficial to everybody listening. For people that want to learn more about the Audacity to Podcast or connect with you, where can people find you online? Visit the audacity to podcast.com to get my podcast articles, check out the products and services that I offer and such. And you can follow me on Twitter and most other social networks at the Daniel J. Lewis. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Everyone listening, if you enjoyed the show, please consider following on Spotify or Apple, subscribe on YouTube, and I'll see you next week.